they'll bring back Mr. Zanner. Thank you all. Glad to see these always been uh, craft worthy and we have been
where God could have seen fit to beam down an angel and, and deliver the oracles of God, but instead he chose me. He said, here I am. Um, may the meditations of my heart, uh, may the thoughts of my heart, may the meditations of every single uh, brain and mind in this, um, this gym be holy and acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord. Well, because we do not preach texts in a vacuum, uh, we need to kind of go back and retrace some, some steps. So very briefly, uh, you had a crazy guy come up here and yell at you at the beginning of the whole deal, and the theme of the book was Christ is Lord over all. He, he is king. He is, he is Lord. He is master. He is sovereign over everything. And then remember second last week when Dan Woods came here and discussed the idea of philosophy or Christ and, and laid it out so well as only a, a wonderful teacher could. And, and he came with this warning, and you freshmen that were responding to it, you nailed it. He came with a warning. It was a massive warning. Warning. Be careful. Warning, warning, danger, danger. Uh, beware of being deluded with plausible arguments. Beware, beware. Especially since, if, if you think about it, if you look in, in your Bibles to verse 4 and contrast it to verse 2 and 3, you have plausible arguments in verse 4 compared to the fullness of the wisdom that we need in Christ. It's like, duh! And then you have a series of verbs in, in verse 7, and it almost makes you sound like a deep-rooted maple tree. Root it up. Sorry, rooted, built up, and established, and it leads to beautiful fruit as you abound in thanksgiving. And, and may I just ask, just, just off the top, how are you at being thankful? How are you at being thankful? How are you at being thankful? How are you at being thankful to God? First and foremost, that's the most important one. How, how are you at being thankful before a holy God who is just lavished upon you? Grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. I mean, folks, here's the reality. Here's the reality. Based on what we thought last night, none of us should have woken up this morning. None of us. None of us. And yet, it is grace that we woke up. And it's grace that you got here. And it's grace that you were able to walk in here somehow. Or crutch in here. And even crutches are grace. And boots are grace. Right. Sorry. Remember what, what Paul's talking about here. This is a description of a believer. This is what it means to be a believer. And, and sadly, it's not a part of who we naturally are. You have to teach your kids to be this way. We're, we're a pretty thankless group by nature. We just are. We just kind of assume the gifts of God. We assume the, the grace of others. We assume the kindness of others. We, we just assume. And yet, I feel like I can speak on behalf of all the teachers here. Um, <laughs> we, we, we do. We, we appreciate any time you stop on the way out and say, hey, thanks for teaching me. Like, even, even the worst lesson ever, it just kablamo. Everything fails. 
Technology fails, computers fail, you can't make two words go together. It's just a mess. Thanks for teaching me. But we're a community, and we need that. And so, thank you. Um, and so, I, I, just, I just challenge you. Just check yourself. This isn't even part of a message, per se. But just check yourself as you're walking over to the high school. How do you deal with being thankful? How are you doing with that? Do some business with the Lord. Um, everything is just grace. It's just sheer grace. Everything that you have, every breath that you have. And so that was that was kind of what Tammy was just talking about. And then we started the new paragraph. And because my verses are part of that paragraph, I'm gonna I'm gonna take from verse eight as well. Uh, and so we'll just go eight through fifteen. So you'll get a little bit of some rehash of what Daniel's had to say. Um, but from my perspective. So before we go there, I've been entitled my sermon, Empty Deceit or Fullness in Christ. Empty Deceit or Fullness in Christ. And I want you to see the opposite thing. Empty Deceit or Fullness in Christ. Look at verse 8. As you remember, Paul starts the paragraph with yet another warning. See to it that no one, no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And that word captive can also mean making a prey of, P-R-E-Y, not P-R-A-Y, a P-R-E-Y of, and that's why uh, Dan Woods showed you a picture of a wolf and, and mentioned a lion. And, and it, it was very apropos. The, the verb that in the ESV also says, it says taking captive, it can also mean plunder or rob. So it, it can mean take you captive. It can also mean that making a prayer. It can also mean plunder, rob. And, and so what I have in mind here is Paul giving you connotations of pirates coming upon your ship and taking all of your goods, and just robbing you. And, and so Paul, in essence, is saying, he's saying this, take heed, take heed, lest anyone plunder or rob you of your faith and hope by philosophy and human tradition. Watch out. Take heed. Don't let people rob you. Don't let people plunder you. Don't let people take you captive. Don't let it happen. Verse 8 is, is Paul just putting up a danger, danger sign. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, danger. Then look at the next phrase. The elemental spirits of the world. And I had to look that up. It was weird. One commentary states that the Greek word is stoichia. Stoichia is sometimes translated the basic principles of the world and then interpreted to be something like the fundamental principles of pagan religion. In the ancient world, however, and I'll pause, remember our goal in hermeneutics is to go back into time as best as possible, sit in the shoes of those who would receive the word as best as possible, and understand how they would understand it first. So take heed, students. 
The term Stoichia was widely used for spirits in Persian religious texts. Magical papyri, astrological documents in some religious texts. Paul is likely using it here to refer to demonic spirits. Although the false teaching is handed down as human tradition, it can ultimately, so the source, it can ultimately be traced to the influence of demonic forces. So, not only do you have the warning of just take heed lest nobody rob you, you have the idea that all of this is stemming from, sourcing from, finding its everything in the demonic. So that empty deceit that seems so captivating has demonic forces at its root? Yep, that is exactly my point. Because that is what Paul is saying. And again, to, to steal from Daniels, you need to know this. We are all in the battle. We are in the battle. You are in a battle. We are in a war for our minds. There is a war for our hearts. There is a war for your soul. And you need to know this is not tiddlywinks. This is not patty cake, patty cake, baker's man type war. This isn't even like tag. This is bloody, gruesome, hard, and it will cost you your entire life. Okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here. This is war. In this text, we, uh, <laughs> um, just reading the Bible in class, just reading, teaching from Romans to the freshmen, or reading at home, and out of nowhere comes a thought, this intrusive thought. You don't believe this. You don't, you don't believe this. That's not true. You're not in Christ. Romans 8 1 isn't true. You don't, you don't, you don't believe that. And now I didn't do it in, in the classroom because you might think I'm nuts. But when that happened, I'm, I'm reading my Bible in the morning. You don't believe this. You don't believe in Christ. I'm like, no! And, and if you had a camcorder on me, which would be weird, uh, but if you had a camcorder on me in my window as I'm storming through my dining room, like, no! I believe this. I believe this. And it's the war. It's war. There is no neutrality. You've got to get that. Satan is not cool with you reading your Bible. He's not cool with you when you step out in faith. He's not cool with you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. He will do Everything in his power to take you captive, to rob you, to plunder your faith, even with lies from the pit of hell that just seems so stinking appetizing. Whatever it takes to get your mind off Christ, that's his game. 
One commentator once said that our, our hearts are an idol-making factory, and Satan will do whatever it takes to keep that factory open. Whatever it takes. Just spit out more and more idols. That's cool. He's cool with that. You are in a battle. You need to know. He hates you. He hates you. And he's got this little cartoonish red thing. Cute little pitchfork. Nice little tail. No, he hates you. It's that ancient serpent, that dragon. He's a defeated foe. We'll, we'll get to. But he's still He hates your family. He hates your church. He hates the school. He hates your teachers. He hates your future marriage. And thus the scourge of pornography that God can just stood up here and God bless that man. Bam! Are some of you dating right now and doing things you shouldn't be doing? Jacking around? Messing around where you shouldn't be messing? He hates you. You might get that. He hates your future kids. And he will do whatever he can to distract you from your goal and your purpose, which is to bring glory to Christ. He hates you. You must see the end. greater than the silly political landings we get ourselves tied into. This is so much greater than the petty things we get bent out of shape about. This is way more important than who wins on Sunday night. It's a very big one. And it is a whole lot better. But you serve So here's the 10 things, and then we'll go from there. 
Number one, the fullness of God dwells in Christ, who is God in the flesh. Number two, we'll go through these, so if you didn't come in, it's okay. You have been filled with Christ. Number three, you have been circumcised in Christ. Number four and five go together. You have been buried with him, and you have been raised with him. Six and seven go together. You were dead apart from him, and now you're made alive in him. Number eight, you're forgiven in him. Nine, your debt is wiped away because of him. And number ten, Christ is victorious forever. Top that. Thank you, Jordan, for letting me do this in two, because we would have been here for ever. So let's unpack now. Let's unpack. Here we go. Number one, the fullness of God dwells in Christ. He is God in the flesh. That's verse one. Look at verse nine. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus is truly God and truly man. Again, words mean things. See the antonyms. You have empty in verse, uh, sorry, oh no, uh, uh, eight. You have empty in verse eight. And you have fullness in verse nine. These are opposed. These are opposites. And, and you get this. You're sensible people. You understand the difference between a full tank of gas and an empty tank of gas. You understand the difference between how you feel after you pull an all-nighter and how you feel after a full night's sleep. And how much greater is the difference between the emptiness of this demonically influenced philosophy of this world and the fullness of God in Christ and quite frankly, we could stop right now, but I feel like an infomercial. But wait, there's more. Verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The way that you can uh, read uh, the Greek, ah, you have been filled, it, it also can mean you have, having been complete, you've been made complete, you are, I love this one, you are filled full. To overflow in Christ. I love it. <laughs> Here you go. By the way, this is a perfect verb. Which means that something happened in the past. Having been filled. You have been filled. Have been filled. That's a perfect verb. It happened in the past, but it has present and future implications. So, here's, here's, here's what we mean by this, and this is the core message of next week. So we'll, we'll get this again, this idea of being filled with Christ, both now and forever, and, and the fact that you don't need all this other stuff. But that's next week. Here's what I want you to get today. Having been filled, have been filled, filled full. If you are a Christian in this room, you have been filled with the fullness of Christ. You have been. As you sit in this chapel, you are still continually, now, presently, this second, filled with the fullness of Christ. And guess what? Whenever I'm done here and we all say amen and you all go, in Christ, because of other scripture, you are still filled with the fullness of Christ. And then you're still filled when you go over there for second hour, or third, or fourth, or when your head hits the pillow tonight. 
and you wake up the next day, and the next day, and the next day, you will be filled with the fullness of Christ until there are no more next days, and then you will really see what it means to be filled with the fullness of Christ. By the way, you are filled with him, and look at what Paul said, who is the head of all rule and authority. You are filled by the great King of Kings, the great Lord of Lords. He is above. Please hear this. I just maybe seared you half to death with this statement. He is above every demonic power. He is greater than every demonic. All of those elemental spirits that we just talked about in verse 8, all of those are under his authority. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. And so I just have a question, and it's mainly for me, and you guys can just eavesdrop. Why then do we still believe the lies we believe? Amen. So here's the question of questions. Are you chasing empty deceit? Or are you chasing the fullness and completeness that only Christ can offer? It's really what it's all about. And I just want to tell you, oh students, turn to Christ and grace him. Trust him. Trust him. So that's verses 9 and 10. And one more thought, a couple thoughts actually, before we go on to 11 through 15. As, as we consider the having been filled, the having filledness, the, the having been filledness of verse 10. The rest of the paragraph explains what being filled means. So having been filled then shows itself forth in what God has done for you in Christ in verses 11 through 15. This is what it means to be filled. It's so precious. It's just so precious. So again, before we go to the, the, the next section, um, let me plug my favorite class in it's English. Um, we have a series of four verbs. That, that have to do with us. And all but one are in the passive tense. Meaning that while you are the subject, the verb is being done to you by somebody else to you. So here's, here's an example. Mr. Brock hit me. Active. I, subject, was hit by Mr. Brock. Passive. I'm the subject, and something was done to me. So we'll play a little guessing game, if I remember. Which one is the active word? Some of you are too close to looking at it. Look at verse uh, 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Is that active or passive? The Old Testament, circumcision was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. But what it lacked was the kind of a spiritual circumcision that was necessary. It was just a physical thing. And, and guess what? In Christ, our hearts are circumcised. This is amazing. But wait, there's even more. Look at the rest of verse 11. This is awesome. This is just awesome. A 
A circumcision made without hands. Meaning it's not physical. It's a spiritual deal. This happened spiritually. By putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Oh, hear this. You have been removed from the fleshy ancestor named Adam. And all of his sin and his nature and all of that. And you have been brought over to Christ. It's awesome. We have been moved in solidarity with Adam and his sin, in solidarity with Christ and his righteousness. It's phenomenal. Moreover, the power of sin has been defeated. And so remember at one point, Jesus, both Jesus and Paul, called you slaves of sin. But you have been set free. You have been set free by the blood of Christ. Next to a couplet, and since nobody's played the game, read next to a passage as well. Don't, don't go anywhere. Okay, uh, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, the Greek is passive, it doesn't read that way. Um, da, da, da. Raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The, the active verb is God raising Christ, but as regards us, it's all passed through us. We died, we rose. You were buried with him in baptism. That's verse 12. And you were raised with him through faith in the wonderful working of God. Also verse 12. Now what baptism is, folks, it is just an outward sign of identification with Christ. Get baptized if you haven't been baptized, if you're a Christian. Get baptized. What it shows is our dying with Christ and in our resurrection in Christ. So, so we died with him when he died. When he rose, we rose. It's, it's newness of life. And so the, Paul says in Galatians and then in 2 Corinthians, just remember this, you're dead. You're dead, and you're alive. It's just amazing. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Yes. And then we go to verse 13. And since the first three are all passive, this is the active verb. This is what you do. This is what you brought. And you need to understand, it, it just says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. It, it, the word there is the being, dead being. You are a dead being. The verb is being. You are a being who is dead. You are a being dead. The verb being dead. Let me first your devil as I did mine. This is what you do. This is what I do. And so I, I have in mind uh, the lunchroom. And, and you've you might have to remember way back when in the lunchroom, and, and you would walk in, 
and maybe you coached your uh, parents to get you Twinkies or something, and I was looking, and we didn't have any Twinkies, um, but, but what I could get was uh, some Golden Oreos. And typically, you would walk in with your Twinkies, and, and sometimes you would try to trade. You'd come to the, you'd come to the table with your Twinkie, and, and maybe you could parlay this from a Twinkie into something even greater. I want, I want something better than a Twinkie. I want, I want a better means of exchange. And so you brought this to the table. Folks, you're not a Twinkie. Here's what you are. This is what you're bringing to the table before God. So you walk in to the lunch table with God. And, 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 and you're like, here's some moldy bread uh, that I, I threw in the dirt on the way to uh, lunch. Uh, how about this? Or, uh, I found this kind of jacked up key. Can I, can I double down? Here, here you go. There you go, Lord. Here's my moldy, stinky, rotten, filthy, disgusting bread. What you got for me? Here's my jacked up, wrinkled, old, gross, moldy kiwi fruit. What you got for me? This is who we are. Here's what we bring to the table. Your deadness. And your deadness in your trespasses, your sins, your uncircumcision of your flesh. You bring to the table your sinful nature. You bring your slavery and all of these chains to every single sin that you love. You bring all of your sin. You bring all of your guilt. You bring all of your shame. You bring all, everything. You stand before him naked. You stand before him destitute. Your very being is dead. You can't even stand. And you came to this arrangement with a holy God with nothing but blackness in your heart and sin-stained hands, actively suppressing the truth, separation from God, doing your own thing, actively taking the good gifts of God and spitting in his face as you neglect to thank him. Paul says in Ephesians, you were without hope and without help in this world. It's who you were. And now Paul moves to God. And every verb from here on out is active. And what I want you to see And you, and you, 
who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Oh, feel the weight of that. I don't know what else to say. God breathes into your dead soul. And he breathes life into your deadness. And he raises you from the dead. And this next section is, and, sorry, the next section, so next week, and chapter 3, chapter 4, and the rest of the chapter, hear this, hear this, hear this. Paul moves in, in his verbs from indicative, what is, to imperative. This is what you should do. What you should do. Please hear this. Please hear this loud and clear. Unless or until you come to that point of understanding your deadness and your sin and your fallenness before a holy God, and you cry out to Him for mercy and grace, and you fall on your face before Him. The rest of this book will not help you repent. The rest of this book is for Christians. Because the way that Paul's going to make the split in, in uh, Colossians 3 is, is he's going to talk about um, this is what you're supposed to put off. This is what you're supposed to put on. This is how you're supposed to live. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. And guess what? While it might be very nice and good practical advice for you, and yeah, you'll be a good employee if you respect your employer, and you'll be a, a, a good son if you respect your parents. And, and because God wires us in a specific way, this is good advice for you, but it's only advice. Unless you are born again. And so, you just, you just need to hear me loud and clear. If you are not born again, if you have not repented, if you have not put your faith in Christ, you are, you're going to the wheelers, and you're trying to put lipstick on a pig. And guess what? You're the pig. And we're just putting lipstick on this pig. It's just hideous. And it doesn't change the nature of the pig. You need to be unpigged. You need to be born again. You need to be made new. Jesus Christ, he commands us. This is not a suggestion. He commands us to repent. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This is why we did this in two weeks. Because of this verse right here. You are dead. And unless you see that, the rest of the entire chapter could be like the rest of your life. doesn't matter. Unless you see you are dead and see your sin and see how you have fallen short of the glory of God and how, oh, oh, how desperate we are. And then see that that God made you alive. Oh, that's you. That's you, baby. So, I have no silver, 
just to hear you. I have no magical powers um, to, to make even this successful, to make even a saint. I have no magical powers, gentlemen, ladies, as you start joining the subdistrict. I have no magical powers to make even suffering successful. Your districts, your state. I know. I'm just a man. But here's what I have I have Jesus Christ. And I'm going to put him before you. Here is Christ. Here is the fullness of Christ in you. Here is forgiveness in Christ. Here is mercy in Christ. Here is grace in Christ. Here is your death, and here is God making you alive. And what could you ask for? What could you ask for? But they came. But they came again. Look at the rest of verse 13. The world is lots of ways to try to make you lose forgiveness. Recycle. Do this. Do that. Whatever. Don't follow those. It's dead. It's empty. It's empty. This world is so empty. You fly to Christ. You fly to Christ, young man. You fly to Christ, young woman. Don't turn to this world. This world's got nothing for you. See the blood of Christ. It purchases you. It cleanses you. It is the grounds of your forgiveness. Do you ever think of the songs we sing? Do you ever hum them on your way out? Do you ever bring them into your brain? Because I know, I know, I know, I know, my curse as a preacher is you guys leave and you forget everything. Oh, no. Sorry. Oh, no. Okay. Price it has been paid. 
Till Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can say, I am free. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Verse 14. I got that. I'm sorry, Mr. Hutchman. Uh, death, your death, verse 14. By canceling the record of death stood against us with its legal demands. This is set aside nailing it to the cross. Your death is completely wrapped in that. Your death before a holy God is completely wrapped. Pray for you. The Greek rendering of this verb is just glorious. And it, it requires careful consideration, so sorry, really tune in. Really tune in. Having wiped away or having blotted out, and then, and then in Greek, it, it doesn't say it here because the ESV is giving it to us in, in modern language. But you need to understand it in its original. Having blotted out against us the handwriting in the decrees, which is the law. Having blotted out against us handwriting in the decrees, which was adverse to us. Also, it is taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Here's what he's saying. You need to understand this. Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, which is a Roman colony. In Roman law, it was customary for um, the people to write a copy of the law that the, the criminal had broken. And what you would do is you would nail that inscription on top of the cross. So see... Um, See what Pilate did, Jesus, King of the Jews, because um, there was no king but Caesar. So if anyone else rose up and, and said they were king, or, and so you would get crucified for saying you were king. So above him was Jesus, King of the Jews, because he claimed to be king. So you are a king, and, and all that. And that's what got him killed by the Romans, is that he was king. Christus Curios, not Kaiser Curios. And so, for us, in, in this situation, with this passage in mind, the decrees, the law, that we could not fulfill in and of ourselves, Christ accomplished. So the very law that I cannot do, the Ten Commandments that I cannot do, the Old Testament law that I cannot do, that I cannot obey, Christ perfectly obeyed. And then this is epic. And in so doing, he took the law that killed us, and he abolished it forever as a requirement to get to God. It's amazing. Makes me think of uh, an old hymn, my sin, Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. You get free. 
He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them in open shame by triumphing over them in him. Christ is victorious. Christus is victor. He's the victorious one. He is the winner of all winners. He is the he is us. Please get this. Please understand this. 15, put the cap on verse 8. The rulers and authorities, um, if you look, in, in my USC, there's a little one there as after authorities. And the footnote says, probably demonic rulers and authorities. Oh, we, we heard about them. We heard about them in verse 8. So what does Paul do, or sorry, what does Christ do to those rulers and authorities that are that are getting after us in verse 8? And, and that Paul is warning us against. I just love this. He disarmed them. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. Those authorities that give you empty philosophy, vain deceit, elemental spirits, all that stuff, he disarmed it. See the ferocious love of God for you in Christ. That Christ would take down the very one who charms you and beguiles you and deceives you and pulls you away from loving Christ. See, as, as uh, Mr. O hears all the time and you juniors you hear, I love El Elkanah, this jealous God who is ferocious in his love for you. And that's nothing to get in the way. And even if it means my son has to die on a cross so that you don't believe the lies, Nothing can come near that. He put them also to open shame and triumphed over them in the cross. I love you. Here's my wrestling perspective. I, I just want you to think about it from Satan's perspective as I close. Here we go. Christ dies on the cross. And I just envision him dancing with David. He's happy. This one, he's dead. He's gone. He's forgotten. He's in the grave. It's over. I've won. And I see him almost standing up like this, almost like if you've ever watched Olympic fails or running fails or fails of of people celebrating too early, and you get the you get the runner that's oh, I'm gonna win, and you get the guy who's straight behind and, and catches him and breaks the tape first, and we all laugh. That's Satan. Yeah, I beat him. I got it. I got it. There he is. He's dead. Yeah. And then boom. Up from the grave he rose. Wrestling nomenclature. He thought he got a pin. But it was just a mere fall. Is this, is this okay, Ashley? And he thought it was over. But instead of it just being a mere fall, Jesus actually reverses the whole deal 
and pins him right back. And then after he pins him, he kind of slaps his head a little bit. And then, like only a boss could, remember, he came to crush the head of the serpent. Up goes his heel. That's really That's really Heavenly Father, as we um, just consider the mere fact that Christ was victorious, that all, oh, all of our sins are forgiven in Him. We who are dead in sins and trespasses and, and bringing to you all of our chains, all of our, all of our, all of our everything, all of us, fill, just fill. You made us alive. Lord God, I pray. I pray for the for the heart in this room that is dead to you, that is cold to you, that hates you, that lives in enmity towards you. Father, I pray, would you break that heart? Give them new birth. Grant them the grace of repentance and faith and trust in Christ. And for the Christians in this room, Lord God, may we never forget. You have bought us from. May we never forget that it is the blood of Christ shed for me, for us, that sets us free from all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt. May we walk out of here, each of us, in freedom. The chains are.